Hey friends, welcome back to Zach and Brian Watch the Watchmen. I'm Brian, he's Zach. We're going to be talking about the fourth episode of Watchmen, the HBO television series today. It is called, If You Don't Like My Story, Write Your Own. And as always, we're going to be discussing spoilers, so if you haven't watched it yet, stop the podcast, go watch it, and come back. We should also say, although we love Damon Lindelof, we are now in direct competition with him, Zach, because he's launching a Watchmen podcast. Oh, no. <laughs> and so we're going to have to take down Damon Lindelof. I'm sorry, Damon. Oh, man. I guess we'll never get him on the podcast. I guess so. Yeah, we'll see. Anyway, I got my coffee. I'm feeling good. Let's dig right into this. So um, the episode begins with a scene that felt very much like the beginning of the second season of Lost when Desmond yes, is in the hatch. Yeah. Uh, and we, we don't know it's the hatch at the time, and Mama Cass's Make Your Own Kind of Music was playing. Instead, here we get Islands in the Stream, and we get to see a, a lovely tale of two egg farmers. Is that the right word for them? Egg, you don't really farm eggs. They're chicken farmers? Well, I mean, I guess you kind of, you kind of do. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it fits. Okay. Um, Eggman. Eggman. Yes, there we go. <laughs> which uh, this song Eggman was played by BC Boys at the end of episode two. Uh, we can throw a Beatles analogy in there. Lots of music to Eggman. Um, anyway, so, um, but w we see them kind of living their day-to-day -day lives and they're going to bed and their doorbell rings. And who's at the door, Zach? It is Lady True. Now, this is the first we've seen of her, but we heard her mentioned last episode. Right. With the Millennium Clock. Um, and uh, how would you describe? Well, how, how is she described by by the folks that she is intruding upon? Um, I mean, she's very mysterious. They call um, her a billionaire, kind of, kind of eccentric. Yeah, yeah. And she she's corrects wealthy. them. <laughs> she says she's a trillionaire. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. She's pretty. She's fairly eccentric, I think, or seen mm. as eccentric in the community. Yeah. Um. I'm trying to think of like a another uh, kind of like media character who who would fit that bill, but nothing's really coming to mind right now. I mean, she's almost Howard Hughes-ish. Sort of. You know. Yeah. Uh, she says that you know that that people say that she doesn't go out, but that's not true. She just goes out when it's important, which implies that this conversation is going to be very important. Um, mm -hmm. And so she offers $5 million to this family to sell her their farm right now. And, right. Um, and, and she she has a clock running as she does it, yes. a, a, a hourglass. An hourglass. I was say, not, not just yeah. any clock, a very dramatic hourglass. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, she says that she wants it and $5 million should be more than enough to renegotiate. And then she gets into this conversation. She says, I know that this farm has been in your family for X amount of years and that you see this as your legacy, but it's not your legacy is not held in property. It's held in children. Um, I just want to pause here for a second and say that this is essentially the uh, Jewish understanding of legacy and the Jewish understanding of heaven as, uh, as understood sort of in the early days of, of the, uh, the Jewish uh, exodus from uh, from Egypt that a lot of times they're talking about sort of what what legacy means for for Jewish people it was it was at the time very much built on extending your family line and that that was the most important thing is to have to have family so that's not really all that important to the conversation of the episode but I found it interesting and I wrote it in my notes um, it is interesting and and you know I think like the concept of legacy, in comics is very important so yes and even in in watchmen is important too so yes and so zach what does she offer them in addition to the five million dollars um oh didn't you already say that no i didn't i thought you did she, she says the family is important and children are important but oh okay i thought you said it <laughs> so <laughs> nope. she 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 offers them a baby not just any baby, their own baby. And, and not a hypothetical baby. She's already made the baby. Yeah, which I I thought 
I I already you know something along the lines of I already did it again kind of a an Ozymandias callback. Yes, uh, and the baby is not a newborn. That 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 baby no. wasn't born today or yesterday. That baby was born a while ago, which means yeah. that this plan had been in place for quite some time. Yeah, so we find out why she wants the house and the land, and it's because she knew something was going to happen ahead of time. Yes, yeah, so we'll get to that in, in one second. But at first, the the wife of this couple is just aghast at this idea. She says, get out of my house. And the husband is, is very taken aback by this idea. And then they get to hold the baby. And you just you just see that uh you you just you you see it's a really well acted scene actually you see in like less than a minute these two people completely change their minds about this and you see them start to fall in love with their child and then race to sign the papers in time and it's it's yeah it's a pretty harrowing scene to watch though it's intense yeah yeah um and so after they sign this, they begin to hear this loud noise. They go outside, and they see a meteor or something that appears like a meteor, meteor crash onto their property. And when they ask, what is that? She says, that is mine. A pretty, uh, a pretty cool it's introduction. Ka- <laughs> it's Kal-El. <laughs> it is Kal-El. I mean, I, I think we're all supposed to think that, right? I mean that's the illusion. Like it's there's this meteor crashing on a farm of a childless couple. Yeah, you know, actually, I really I was joking. I hadn't really even made that connection, but it is one hundred percent. And that's after yeah. we get the Kalel leaving Krypton scene in the first episode, right? Of Will yeah. being put in there. So it's it's very interesting to see how that works it- together. It is really interesting, yeah. Maybe we're going to get that uh, Doomsday Clock uh, (laughs) season two. Yeah, season two will just be a straight (laughs) Doomsday Clock adaptation. Oh, goodness gracious me. Okay, um, so we'll we'll get a little bit more Lady True later in this episode. Um, But what was sort of your overall first impressions of the character? She felt very much like a lost character, 100% to me. Um, she, like, fit in really well with kind of, like, the Dharma Initiative feel of, you know, being very aloof and having way more knowledge than everyone else and kind of a uh, maybe a bit of a devil-may-care attitude. Um, her her style of dress was very interesting. Um she doesn't seem like a terribly likable character at first um, because she she's benevolent, but she's manipulative. Yes. Yes. And, uh, and as this episode goes on, I, I don't know how much more likable she gets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but we'll talk about that in a little while. Um, so after this scene, we begin... To, to catch up with um, with Angela, I believe. Um, and we see Angela, she, she calls in, she says, basically, um, did anyone hear a silent alarm go off at the cultural center? The, the dispatcher says, no. She says, all right, well, there's some broken glass. I'm going to go in and check it out. And then you see her essentially go in, break into the cultural center to try and, uh, well, to try and get some more information. And so we see her, go to one of those kiosks that we saw her use in the past and she sees uh Henry Louis Gates Jr. you can call him Skip and uh and she collects an acorn which is basically this this uh prop that you put into this uh this other <laughs> hologram machine i don't even know hologram projector yeah yeah and and it, and it projects your family tree and it's showing her the new information about her family tree that's been revealed. And that is sort of the, um, the institution, not the institution, the, the revelation of Will and his parents. And so she gets to see a, a photo of her great-grandparents. Will's name has been lost to history. 
but we know his name is Will. And um and yeah, we're we're we get a little bit of of Angela sort of talking to Will's hologram. And I have to say, this is my least favorite scene in the whole series so far. Interesting. I mean, I, I don't think it's particularly great or anything, but why is your, your least favorite? I just felt that, first of all, a sort of theme that we're going to see emerging is just Angela taking matters into her own hands at times. And we've seen that already. You know, we, we saw her beat up that um that seventh K member in the pilot episode. Uh so you know we, we see her go outside the law a little bit here. But this seems like something she could have easily done during the daytime <laughs> and it would have would have had no of no negative impact whatsoever. Like people aren't gonna be watching her and even if they were watching her, nothing about what she sees is particularly um you know, bad or revelatory or anything. Noteworthy. Yeah. yeah. And, and so it seems like she went and broke the, put herself in danger to do this. And then we get her talking to the hologram. And that just seems like a bridge too cheesy for this show. That, yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, I think, I think when you are watching it, um, it's maybe, not as far-fetched as it initially as, as when you actually like really think about it um because i think you you can kind of get in her mindset you know she is sort of she's not quite on the lamb yet but she is under scrutiny and she's you know hiding evidence and she you know she's being a little sketch and yeah. um maybe that is her mindset here that's causing her to act irrationally or maybe it's just kind of a poorly uh concepted you know sequence just to you know just being a little bit more dramatic than is necessary um because it is definitely more interesting than if she had just gone to the center and done all of that i think um sure i can't really argue with that i guess Um, yeah but yeah so anyway we get and and after that we see her meet up with uh, Agent Blake again as her car car has fallen from the sky, and um, you know Laurie continues to be wonderful in that she is totally nonplussed that it turns out to be Angela's car. <laughs> this plane, this car falls out of the sky, and Angela's like, "That's mine." She's like, "Okay, well, you have this under control now, so peace." <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, um. So we're coming up on a scene that I think you and I are going to have a lot to say about. And that is the scene in Angela's house where she is, uh, she's talking to Cal about, uh, or rather she and Cal are getting breakfast ready for the kids. And um, did, 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 did I skip a scene? Well, there, there was a scene, at least in my order of notes that I did want to mention really quick, the scene with Angela and Topher uh, where Angela comes in you know, very oh, late. Yes, I'm sorry. Yes. Let's talk Cal, about that. Cal's, as, Cal's asleep with the, the girls. And so she goes and gets in the bottom bunk in Topher's room and they have a conversation that like almost had me in real tears because it was just pretty, pretty powerful. Um, you know, uh, I think it ends with Topher giving Angela his like stuffed animal or something yes. to comfort her. Yes. Um, which is really sweet. Uh, considering how kind of like he's a pretty calloused kid, you know? Right. But it's a nice reminder that he's a kid. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that You're right. I, I did I did skip over that in my notes. That is an excellent scene. And we, we just, I really like the relationship that we're seeing between Cal and Topher. Mm-hmm. They, they have this really they've both been through some shit and they're both really hardened by it, but they're also very protective of each other. Like the first mm-hmm. time that we see Topher, we see him beating up a kid because he made a, what he considered to be a racist remark at Angela. And so, you know, we've just seen him a number of times now really taking on this sort of protector stance for his adopted mother. And I think it's, I think it's a really beautiful relationship they've built. 
Yeah, I agree. Um, but anyway, so so the next morning, Cal and Angela are making breakfast with Cal doing the heavy lifting, making waffles here for the kids. And the kids are arguing about whether or not Uncle Judd went to heaven. And Cal sits down and basically just delivers the most plain-spoken, cold denial of the existence of an afterlife that you could probably ever imagine. Um, not he's, he's not mean about it. He's actually rather calm while saying it. He basically says, you know, before Uncle Judd was born, he was nothing, and then he was here, and now he's nothing again. There is no heaven. That's not real. Who wants waffles? Yeah, and uh, Angela is taken aback by this a little bit. You get the sense that they haven't really maybe maybe even ever had this conversation. And um, it's actually, you know, based on how their characters are portrayed, I, I would kind of expect them to, for their b- reactions or, or beliefs to be swapped a little bit. You know, Angela is kind of the... the more no-nonsense practical one and and cal seems to be the more nurturing um the more nurturing one and so it's interesting that their that their takes are kind of they come across the way that they do yes um i wonder if like so one of the things that i was curious about watching that scene was do you think that you know we had talked about in a in a prior episode sort of the idea of the lack of innovation caused by Dr. Manhattan's um you know both his sort of appearance on the scene and then also with everything with that happens with with Vite do you think that Dr. Manhattan's appearance would lead to a I don't want to say a surge in atheism because I don't I don't I don't think that atheism was exactly on the on the decline right now, yeah. <laughs> but do you understand what I'm saying? Like, do you think that that would affect how people approach belief? I would honestly maybe expect it to just polarize it more. Um, like, I feel like it would just kind of radicalize. I feel like it would make the ends of the spectrum more extreme and then kind of create a sense of apathy in the middle. And that that's kind of maybe how I would expect it. That's interesting. Um, I wonder if because Doctor Manhattan doesn't, we don't know how public we even even in the Watchmen comic we don't know how public he is with with you know his opinions with, with anything like that. So we don't know you know he sort of expresses no no belief in a god. Uh, yeah, we have no idea if if he would have quote gone public with that or not. So I don't know if this is a matter of people like listening to Dr. Manhattan so much as just a, when presented with the evidence that is Dr. Manhattan, it's, it might be hard to go back and think about things in a more um, mystical way. Does that make sense? Sure. Sure. Um, I guess like the way, way I mean is like, I feel like just the, his presence is either going to I feel like there's going to be like groups on both sides who are just going to double down harder on their own beliefs as just kind of a a way of grappling with reality okay. um but then I think kind of faced with at least like I mean the question of like is there a higher power obviously there is and it's at least Dr. Manhattan. And, and so like there, his existence is either going to like, I mean, it's hard to deny the existence of some kind of power, but because it's so tangible and in some ways like mundane now, it almost, I would think I would expect it to create a sense of apathy. And and also explainable. Like one of the yeah. great inscrutant in one of the great uh, debates around the belief in God is that you cannot prove the existence of God and you cannot, you know, you know, I I know people who who would ask questions like, you know, well, what was God doing before creation? How did, who created God? Like if you can answer all those questions, 
it takes some of the well, it kind of removes the aspect of faith. Absolutely. And not only that, it also, you know, we tend to think that God wants us to do good, or at least most religions believe that, you know, God wants people to, to be good and to work for the betterment of the world. And not that Dr. Manhattan doesn't believe that, but he doesn't believe that for any altruistic purpose, really. Right. So, yeah, it's just an interesting question. I, I think that that scene is a very, very interesting one. And one that I don't know will get another scene like it in the course of the show, but I'm I'm glad we got that one scene. I find it very interesting. Yeah, I think it's I think it's good that we got it. I don't know that we necessarily need more. I mean, you know, I loved when leftovers tackle themes of of religion and faith, and that was very you know that show that show definitely leaned uh, or lent itself to those kinds of conversations a lot. Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess Watchmen in some ways does as well, but I don't, like you said, I don't necessarily expect to get more of that than, than what we're getting. Right. Um, but uh, we'll see. By the way, I, I have something very leftovers related to talk to you about, but because we have listeners who haven't watched the leftovers yet, we'll have to save that for after the podcast. But um, okay. Yeah. So, um, so after this scene with, with Cal and, uh, the, uh, and the breakfast, we see um, Angela brings the bottle of pills that were left in her car. She found them in her car again that were that belonged to um, to Will, and uh, she brings them over to Looking Glass's house, and she asks him to quote have his ex look at them. And uh, what is what does Looking Glass do when we see him, Zach? Oh, what does he do? I don't remember. <laughs> he he's developing photos of. Oh, the that's right. Fall. Oh, that's right. Because we because we she goes to meet uh, for some reason in the scene. I was thinking they were meeting in the police uh, department, but no, she goes to meet him in his kind of weird little doomsday prepper. Yes, in his shed. bunker. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, in his bunker. That's right. Yes, yeah. So he's yeah, exactly. So he's he's um yeah, like you said, developing photos of of squids and you see this weird little bunker that he has with all of his supplies and his bunk beds. And you kind of maybe, uh, get an idea for why his ex is his ex. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, but he, he says something like, you know, poor little guys like, you know, live for 30 seconds and then die. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you see that, that looking glass is very interested in the squid fall and sort of why it's happening. Um, and this is not a spoiler, but we're, we're going to get a Looking Glass-centric episode coming up pretty soon. And it answers, it, 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 a lot of that episode is very informed by what we see here. Mm-hmm. Is, is that a fair thing to say? Yeah, definitely. Okay. I, I don't need to cut that out, do I? Oh, I don't think so. Okay, good. All right, so <laughs> then we get the weirdest scene in the show so far. And... And that's really saying something. It, it is, saying, but is it is it not the weirdest episode in the show so far? Yeah, no, it it definitely is. <laughs> okay, so Angela is disposing of the pieces of Will's wheelchair so that she cannot be found out that she had it. And as she is dumping, she's on a bridge and she dumps the last bits into a freight train that is going underneath the bridge. And she turns around and looks, and there is a vigilante dressed in a full body like um sleeve what what do we call those things you know what i'm talking about body condom i don't know i just said uh i just my exact note for this was wtf shiny man okay yeah so he's he's in a shiny (laughs) he he has kind of bug eyes if i remember correctly yeah i think so and and then he just takes off running angela starts following him and so they're running 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 and then he He, so he has a belt yes Talk, talk about the belt yeah well so he has a belt that has kind of like uh you know, almost kind of like what you would think of as just kind of like standard ketchup mustard bottles, but they're clear um, and they have some kind of liquid in them. And uh, it, it, that liquid seems to be some kind of oil because he, he pulls out two bottles, squirts them all over his body as he's running, and then just slides into, into a sewer, a storm drain. Yeah. <laughs> and then when it's over, 
Angela literally goes, what the fuck? And, yeah. you know, that's how we all feel. So I, I do want to say things. To, to me, there are two very obvious candidates for who this might be. Um, the first is Petey, because he is certainly that tall, lanky type fella. Uh-huh. Uh, the other is you, you lanky motherfucker. <laughs> it could, it could be me. It could be me. You know, I almost expect that this is something that is never touched on again ever, and it's just like a picture of how weird the world is now. I, you know, I, I had a very similar thought. I could see this either being very important or not important at all. Yeah. Um, and I love that. Yeah, me too. Me too. If it is just like weirdness for weirdness' sake, I am all in on that. Um. You know, some of my favorite things in like Twin Peaks are just the, uh, you know, like two minutes of a man sweeping. Um, and and this, uh, I think, even if its purpose is just to sh- show the state of the world, I think that's very good. Yes. Um, I also think it wouldn't necessarily surprise me if it was Petey. Mm-hmm. We know he's obsessed with vigilantes. Uh, so for him being one himself wouldn't be that out of character, but I don't think it's him because this person would have to have a pretty good sense of sort of Tulsa geography, like to know where the sewer would be and all of that. Um, right. So, right. Just very interesting to, to see this, to, to talk about this scene. Um, yeah. And yeah, super weird. So then we see. Uh, Angela and uh, Agent Blake and Petey getting in their car to go to Lady True's. I, don't, I guess we'll just call it the Millennium Clock. There's more than that there, but let's just call it that. Um, it is in that car ride where uh, Blake basically tells Petey to explain who Agent Blake is. Which did that strike you as odd that people wouldn't know who she was? Not necessarily, um, just because, I mean, it has been like 30 years, um, and I mean, just thinking about, I don't know, I, I've gone back and forth. I think it's, I don't, yeah, I don't think it's unbelievable, I guess I'll say. I think it. I think it is like reasonable that some people would maybe have blind spots and like maybe especially, you know, um, Angela growing up in Vietnam. Maybe she wasn't as inundated with kind of like mainland American culture sure. and everything. So maybe, I mean, I think it's explainable. I don't think it. It didn't strike me as as particularly unbelievable, um, but I, I do see what you mean. Yeah, I I don't really know. You know, uh, on one hand, I feel like at least, I mean, I guess we also don't know, like, how much the news of Night Owl and Silk Spectre coming back into the forefront in 85 would have been. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it would have been, you know, it, it was essentially just like one night, really. Right, yeah, so. Um, you know, and then after that, they kind of, they kind of go off the grid again you get the impression until until apparently whatever may have happened that put them on their current paths um right yeah you would expect maybe that to be a little bit more high profile and actually more recent which that that kind of does begin to like strain the the credulity of that uh but until we really know what that is or what happened it's kind of hard to say right but so um you know, Petey says Agent Blake was one of the Minutemen, and Angela says, like, on that show, and he says that show is garbage or trash. I think he says, I forget, it's garbage or trash. Whatever he says, it's hilarious. It's good. Um, but that's all prefacing getting us to Lady True's sort of HQ here. How would you describe this place, Zach? It, um, it's basically like the Avengers play like their their compound in the the most recent avengers movies except you know, it very the, with the uh with the interior uh being the outdoors of vietnam <laughs> well just just lady true's quarters yes 
yes. mostly. Like I, I guess I was thinking specifically of when they get there and you know they come into this like big hangar area where they you have these kind of like, uh, you know, aircraft with giant turbine engines and and that sort of thing that's that i guess that's what i was more alluding to but then yeah yeah then you go to lady true's area which is yeah she um i think she says that she made a promise to her parents that she would never leave vietnam so she brought it with her yeah um and we should say the reason that they are here is because they're investigating the potential for one of their drones to have picked up Angela's car and stolen it. Yes, um, yeah. And everyone at Lady True HQ seems more than happy to cooperate, although you get the impression that that they're they're probably bullshitting on some level, you know. Um everyone is is very polite and very sort of phony about everything or at least that's how it appears. Um but we do see a young girl who we had seen before. We saw her picking up newspapers in the second episode. Um, we see her here again, and it turns out this is Lady True's daughter. And, yes. Um, you know, uh, she is, what, maybe 10-ish, 12, maybe? Uh, yeah, that looks reason that's reasonable, yeah. And she seems to have a very... Um, prominent position in the, in the in the hierarchy there yeah yeah i think she even alludes to something like usually lady true makes people go through um just kind of lower level assistance and things like that but for her to send her daughter is kind of a very special thing right and then and then we get to see angela and blake meet lady true uh, and Petey goes to follow, and he is told uh, ladies only. Yeah. All right, so we get, uh, we see uh, Angela and Lori welcomed into Lady True's sort of inner sanctum, and uh, she mentions that, you know, that this is her Vietnam, etc. And then um, she, you know, hands over the names of anybody who might have been able to operate this, uh, you know, those machines, and she says to Angela, she's very sorry to hear about the chief's death. She hadn't met him, but she's heard that he's a good man. And she then shares an old Vietnamese proverb about grief, which is your grandfather is here and wants to know if you got the pills in Vietnamese. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That scene was so good. Really quick, I don't mean to go on a tangent, but you talking about Judd being a good man made me remember a line that I, I did want to mention from when uh, Angela goes to see oh, Looking yes. Glass. Yes, we forgot the um, big line, yeah. The big line. We, we've been um, texting about this line. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I can't remember. Um, I think she flat out tells Looking Glass that she found a Ku Klux Klan robe. And then she in gives his, it to him. And yeah, that, he, she gives it to him to, to hold, hold on, on to. to. Yeah. Yeah, and she says something like, you know, did you know he was racist or anything like that? And he, and and Looking Glass says he was a white man in Oklahoma. Yeah. Uh, of course, essentially, you know, of course he was racist. Right. Um, which I feel like is going to be a line that is going to be very controversial <laughs> once it gets out into the wild. Um, do you think that's a pretty fair fair take? Yeah. Uh, we um. You know, we're still recording this. Uh, we're recording this two days before the third episode airs. Yeah. And so we're we're still way ahead of, of sort of the release schedule here. So we don't know how that line is going to go over, which is funny. I think that the people who will be offended by that line are the racists in Oklahoma. Because <laughs> I think that somebody, yeah. somebody who's not racist in Oklahoma will look at that and say, like, oh, I know that – they're talking about my neighbors, you know, and the folks sure. who, who are racist in Oklahoma are going to say, hey, they're talking about me. <laughs> well, it's very I mean, it's like it's very interesting. I. Uh, <laughs> I, I guess if any of my friends are listening to the show, I do have friends who live in Oklahoma or from Oklahoma and are white, who I have had a lot of um, discussions about race and racism and all of those things and we don't necessarily see eye to eye and so i i think a, i i have like very real examples of like how this is going to be met in the world and you know i think that 
I think Looking Glass's point is, I mean, I I personally like can I identify with it and under and agree with it. Um, I mean, I, I think it's going to it's going to spark a lot of conversations about what racism actually is, which is like still a conversation that is not. It's a term that's not agreed upon. It's something people aren't comfortable talking about. Well, that's what I was going to say. Is I think that you could you could possibly expand it even further and say he was a white man in America. Yeah, you really can, honestly. Like, and and that, you know, no one wants to be called a racist, but because of that, no one is able. Very few, and I'm like not saying that I'm so special or or like woke because I can talk about things in this way like not at all there are tons of ways that i don't recognize my own you know privilege privilege all that yeah yeah all those things definitely definitely but like i think white people in america have to start grappling with these things in this way and like for such a mainstream show to be tackling it and approaching it like i think it's a good thing i just don't know how it's going to be received yeah i mean and look i i would never identify myself as racist right i would i would hope right. that i am not that person but i think yeah. that just you know i'm a 37 year old man who grew up in the united states of america there is some racism baked into me and for I, sure exactly. I, I try my yeah. best to not to not lean into that or to educate myself and remove it from myself but i don't know if that's even possible there will always be a part of me that was raised a certain way and this is not a knock on my parents or my education or any of that it's just the reality of being born when and where i was and so yeah um yeah this, yeah this got, this got deep man it did it did it's hard <laughs> i mean it's really hard and that's why i mean this show is good i think <laughs> you know it's like well, and that's actually, you know, let's take a quick pause here before we get into this, the Vietnamese discussion here. Because one of the things that I keep texting you, so I I saw the six episodes before you saw any of them. Uh, yeah. And whenever you watch one, you text me your reaction. And what do I always text you back? The show is good. Yes, because I think in the beginning, we were very unsure as to what, even after the pilot, you know, it was interesting, but was it good? But I think I'm I am ready to draw my line on the sand here and say this show is good. Yeah, are you, are you I, ready to do the same? Yeah, no, I really am. Um, I think that it is good. I think that it is. Um, <laughs> I don't. I don't. I'm not going to say what I was going to say. Um, no, come on. It's too. It's too spicy a take. No, no, um, dude. We need spicy. We're competing uh, with Lindelof. We have to go spicy. Now. I. I. There are times, and I. This is. This is way too underbaked, and the show's not even over yet. But there are times when I think that maybe this show is like maybe more important than the comic. Wow. Okay. I think it maybe I think it maybe says more important things than the comic does, and is going to say more important things than the comic did. That is a spicy take. Yeah. But but not not an incorrect one. Um, I, 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 so our pal Greg Matasevich, co-host of Robots from Tomorrow, one of the true good guys in the world, uh, had reached out to the two of us to talk about this show because he's seen the first two episodes now, and we were, and Greg is a big, I, I think Greg would bristle at me calling him a big Watchmen fan because I think that Greg recognizes the sort of what that says about somebody, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But Greg has a really smart and nuanced appreciation of Watchmen end of just sort of the comics climate. If I have a question about where something fits into comics history, Greg is the guy I go to. Because Greg is just, mm -hmm. he's really good with that. And he's enjoying the show. And we were talking about how the show didn't need a sequel. I mean, the book didn't need a sequel. But, but giving itself one in the form of a TV show, this is essentially the best of what you could have hoped for. Mm -hmm. And I really do feel that way. Yeah, yeah, I definitely do. It's it's way better than I could have ever hoped for. Yeah. Um and and again, this is not a spoiler, this is a tease for folks. 
episodes five and six are amazingly weird yeah. and interesting yeah. and, and good and yeah. good and challenging and all of those things. Yes. So, yeah. Stay tuned. All right. Anyway, Vietnamese. So so Lady True uh, gives this message to Angela and then she says like something like, I also know um, I, I have heard a similar proverb, which is, is it like tell him? If he wants to tell me to come out and tell me, Some, he, she basically says yeah. like he can tell me himself or whatever. Um, yeah, he, he can yeah. Come talk to me himself. Wow. <laughs> um, so Lady True and Will are in some sort of cahoots here, right? Yes, that's that's what is uh, implied. Which it's like funny because they come to Lady True suspecting that her airships are what came and grabbed Angela's car. Um, and the fact that that actually may be the case is, is kind of so funny and on the nose, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, I, I, it's kind of an outlandish accusation and then for true to just kind of essentially confirm it here, yes. uh, with their exchanges, very funny to me. Yes, I, I completely agree. Um, okay. So, uh, we get that scene and they essentially they leave politely and but you know that there's something else going on here. Uh then we pause to go to uh our own little paradise, which is the Adrian Vite section of this show. This is the best Vite section of the show so far. Um I think. I don't know. The play is really good too. <laughs> yes, it is. So, so Zach, why don't you take us through what we first see Vite doing? So we we see him. He's out on a on a body of water in a little boat, and he has kind of like a, uh, I guess kind of like a, it's not quite a net. It's more like a a box. It's almost like a crab trap. You ever you ever yeah crabbing? yeah that's exactly yeah. what it is. Yeah, that's yeah. I, I I couldn't quite play. Yeah, it's like a crab trap exactly. And so he's like lowering into the water and pulling out these underdeveloped fetuses. <laughs> yes. But not just that. He pulls them out, he kind of looks at them, and some of them he just throws back. Yeah. Yeah. Just it's like, oh no, this one isn't what I want. Um and I have so to say weird. So, so, so weird. We have the episodes we've seen, some of them are marbled marked as like works in progress, that they're not uh-huh. finished yet. And I don't know if those are the finished babies, but they're disturbing. Like they look oh, it's re- weird. They it's look weird. real and but undercooked, and it's just it's it's yeah, like very small bodies, large heads. Um, yeah, it's it's really weird. Um, <laughs> yeah. You want to talk about what he's doing with the yeah. fetuses? <laughs> yeah, so he he gets a couple of these fetuses. And he brings them back to his place. He puts on some more 60s Jamaican music, uh, Do Your Thing by Leroy Sibbles. I shazammed it. Um, and he puts them in this, like, spinning carousel thing. He basically puts them in the microwave, essentially. Yes, yes. <laughs> and then he presses a button, and, and you see it spin, and you hear these horrible noises coming from it. So bad. These, oh, my gosh. terrifying noises. And then, ding! They're naked people. They grew into humans. He yeah, microwaves some humans. It, it's Phillips and Crookshank. Yeah. And he he gets them dressed and he tells them that, you know, they can't, they, they should be able to, to understand at this point but not speak for a few more hours. And so he says, I am your master and everyone needs a purpose and your purpose is to serve me. And then he brings them into the dining room and we see... <laughs> I mean, it's got to be 20 corpses? Yeah, just... Oh, yeah. And he so says, min- he basically yeah. says, sorry, I had a bad night. Yeah, all, all of his clones, of course, you know, all... Yes. Dozens and dozens of dead clones, yeah. Yes, and uh, and then um, there, there are two things that happen after this I want to talk about. First of all, somebody, uh, I don't know if it's this Phillips or if it's later, but somebody at some point hands, hands him another horseshoe. Right, which says, is, we saw previously in the first episode yes. when they hand him an, a horseshoe to cut the cake. Yes, and he says, I don't need it yet. 
So something is going to happen in the with world. The yes, it's what I don't know world? what yet, but it's it's amazing. Okay, so then we go outside and we see them loading dead <laughs> dead clones onto the biggest trebuchet you've ever seen. And then shooting it off and the clones fly to a certain point and then just disappear into the sky. Yep. He's on the island. Well, it's very much lost. Can I tell you <laughs> what my initial thought was? Sure. And I'm I am 99.99999% sure this is bullshit. But I thought, oh, is he in Lady True's like uh little geodesic dome there? Yeah. And he's like, you know, and there's some sort of weird, um, you know. Like artificial reality type thing going on in there? Yes. Yeah. That that was one of my thoughts. I don't think that's the case, but that's just. Very uh, very powers of 10 there. Yes. You know. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Like year 1000, uh, like biodome thing. Yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Um, Again, I don't think that's really happening, but I thought I should mention it. Yeah. well, it would make sense because Lady True took over Vite Industries or yes. whatever Vite's company was called. Yes. And so it would make sense for her to maybe have been either given him a kind of, you know, like his own kingdom, essentially, or maybe even, you know, maybe she it was a hostile takeover and she has him imprisoned. Right. And he's kind of testing his boundaries here. We've heard terms of his uh, what? There's a specific term I have it written down here. Uh, terms of your captivity. Yeah. Something that the game master yeah. says, the game warden says to him. So, you know, I don't know. Just something I thought of. Um, but it's just this this absolutely bonkers scene. Um. And we do find out, by the way, that he's been there for four years, we find out. He says yes, that. yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, a magnificent Vite sequence. Just truly great. And, and we have to yeah, really Yeah, I think give... my favorite yeah. so far, for sure. Yeah. And, and Jeremy Irons is so over the top at all of these. But he's really doing, he's doing great work. He He is, yeah, he is. And it... I mean, Ozymandias was never a character I cared for in the original same, Watchmen. Same, yeah. He, 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 yeah, very, very milk toast until the very end, where he is, you know, he is a Republic serial villain. Um, and then, uh, but, but yeah, this interpretation of him by Irons is fantastic, and and Irons is just the perfect casting choice for this. I think. Yes, he is. In a in a series of what are perfect casting choices. True. We haven't talked a lot about that yet, but this show is impeccably cast. Mm-hmm. Just really, really wonderful stuff. Um all right, anyway. Um so we we are no longer in invites little fiefdom there. Um we we see uh we see Angela go home to Cal, and Cal is reading uh, "Things Fall Apart," which is where the title of the episode comes from. That is a quote from the from uh, the book. And uh, Angela is trying to pick a fight because she's pissed off that she finds out that Cal spoke to Blake, and Cal didn't tell her. And then Cal basically admits that he lied to Blake. He didn't say anything about the grandfather or any of that. Um, that he just basically gives her. Angela's version of the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but there's something really interesting in this conversation here. And that's that she asks Cal, did you talk about your accident? And Cal said yeah. it didn't come up. Any ideas as to what Cal's accident is? Not a clue. Yeah, no idea. I have none either. I, mean, I don't know if we could have an idea based on what we know from Cal yet. But... One of the things I keep thinking about as we watch this show is like there, there's every episode introduces all these new questions, and there's going to be no time to answer those questions this season. 
You would think, especially since they're saying, I mean, I think it is still set at nine episodes. Um, I don't think they've said anything differently to contradict that. No, IMDb says nine. Okay. So, yeah. There's, just, there's a lot There's a lot being, being uh, introduced here. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, anyway... Uh, after that, that's sort of the last scene we get with Cal and Angela. Anything else you want to say about that scene? No, not not in particular. I, I do just want to reinforce how much I enjoy their relationship. Mm-hmm. And Cal seems like a truly decent person. And Cal seems like... Maybe the only one in the show so far. <laughs> yes, that is an excellent point. Uh, Cal definitely... and But there's a darkness to him. You know, there there is, especially with with his heaven with his heaven description. There, you sort of saw just a side of Cal we hadn't really seen before. But I really mm-hmm. do enjoy their relationship, and I look forward to seeing the relationship grow and change. Um, so then we get the final scene of the episode, which is back at Lady True's compound, and a couple of things happen here. First of all, we see her daughter wake up from a nightmare. And she disconnects herself from something. Yeah, she has like an IV in yeah. or something. That instantly gave me shades of Inception. Okay. Uh, of just like, you know, have you seen Inception? It's been a, I don't think I've seen it since it was in theaters. Okay. So it's been a long time. In Inception, they like hook themselves up to this contraption that puts them to sleep, essentially. Uh-huh. Uh so they're not like naturally waiting to fall asleep to go into a dream, you know, it, yeah. it forces them into that. And I, I'm sure it's nothing to do with that, but that's just sort of the image I got of somebody waking up and unhooking themselves from this IV reminding mm-hmm. me of inception, but she has a nightmare and she goes over and talks to lady true about it. And the nightmare essentially sounds like the scene of the comedian and Dr. Manhattan destroying the village in Vietnam. Does it not? Yeah. It's very similar. Yeah. Um, and then she asks Lady True to walk her back to bed, and Lady True says no. Um, and very cold. Very cold. Not not very maternal at no. all. And um, then who's sitting with Lady True at this moment? It's Will. Yeah. And they have a conversation about Will's um, I guess commitment to this plan. She says that basically when family gets involved, it gets tricky. And now that you have this... You've revealed yourself to Angela. You know, is it go? Are you going to be able to basically do your part in all of this? And he says, "I am. I am more in than ever. In three days, she's going to find out, and she's going to hate me. And and you, you don't. You know, basically, don't doubt me. And then he stands up. Yeah." And uh, goes to the por- sort of the porch area of her house or whatever it is, and starts going tick tock tick tock tick tock tick tock. So weird. I, I did. <laughs> that felt so on the nose. Yes, it did. Um, and I didn't. I didn't know whether to like laugh or, or to take it seriously. Um, it almost felt like breaking the fourth wall at that point i had the exact same thought is that it, this is them breaking the fourth wall and i don't really know yeah. why i mean maybe maybe he's dr manhattan i don't know <laughs> yeah and uh, and then we get a, a truly great song time is on my side as the play out music for this week mm-hmm. yeah it was a well, good episode it was a good episode and I'll, it it's funny because you you can sort of each episode so far after the pilot has had like a uh, sort of a focus on a new character. Like the second episode is when we really get a lot of the Vite stuff that happens. We see about the clones and all of that. The third episode is very much the Lori episode. And this is very much the Lady True episode. Even though we don't know much about her and we don't spend that much time with her, the time we spend with her is really important. Like it sets up a lot. It really does, yeah. Yeah. She's a key character and um you know, kind of in an antagonistic role right now. I I kind of 
imagine she is going to not end up being a, a primary antagonist. I think that that's maybe a little too on the nose. She doesn't, doesn't seem like a good person necessarily. You know, like I mentioned, the, the scene in the beginning, the way she treats her daughter. Um, but I, I don't think that her intentions are nefarious necessarily. No, and, and I think that she is very clearly the modern day Vite equivalent. Not only one hundred percent. Yeah, of course she buys his corporation, and so that's you know that's easy there. But just you get the idea of she has a vision for humanity that might take some some breaking of eggs to get to right. Uh, the old eggs omelet analogy there, and. Uh, I don't think that it's – that's certainly not a not the most moral way to approach change, but I think that it's – you know, I, you understand what I'm saying. Like, I, I like do, you said, yeah, yeah. I don't think her – I don't think she is necessarily trying to bring evil or wrongdoing upon the world. I think she's trying to change it for the better, but just what, whatever that means – doesn't mean what it might mean to you or me. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, you're very correct in, in calling out that she is the new Vite figure. Mm-hmm. Um, but here here in this point, we're getting that from the get-go, whereas, you know, in the comic, Vite is not presented that way until the end. Right. And I, yeah. I think there's actually a really interesting conversation to maybe be had at the end of this episode about who are the various analogs on this show? Mm-hmm. Because, like, it seems like Judd is clearly the comedian. He's killed in the first episode. The blood drips on his badge, right? Like, that's a very, that's a very heavy-handed approach. Uh, she, Lady True is obviously the um, the white analog. Looking Glass is obviously set up to be the uh, the Rorschach analog um is there anybody else that sort of fits into that that box for you is there a clear uh silk specter or night owl or is lady night sister night rather uh is she sort of both of them together i think that's pretty fair i think she yeah i think that's actually pretty fair because she kind of highlights that um kind of not not really like reverence but like willingness to enter into like vigilantism that is kind of embodied by uh by night owl um but at the same time she's a little bit more tempered i guess um a little more pragmatic and less idealistic i think than night owl was which i think is where kind of the Silk Spectre influence comes in, um, so yeah, I think I think that's that's pretty fair. She she is kind of a, a an avatar for just the vigilante in general. Yeah. Um, is there anything that you uh, particularly want to talk about with the rest of these episodes? With the rest of this episode before we uh, wrap up? No, I think that covers everything that I wanted to go over. Uh, yeah, so thank you for listening. I've been doing a um, recaps of the episodes every Monday morning after they air, and right after that on uh, a Multiversity, you get our reviews as well, our podcast rather. And so um, we are, uh, you know, we're I, I'm having a, a ton of fun talking about this show, and it's a really, it, it's a really uh, just super fun super fascinating show to talk about and we'll be back in uh in a week's time I, did you write down the name of the next episode um i did not um i feel like i it's on like the tip of my tongue though but I no know. i didn't Hang on, i'm looking at i to be where can folks find you on twitter zach uh, I am at Wilker Fox. And I am at Brian Needs a Nap. And let's see if they have put these episode names on uh, IMDb yet. I know that yes. they're on Wikipedia. Yes. It's Little uh, Fear of Lightning. Little Fear of Lightning, yes. Uh, so that is the name of the next episode. Um, and yeah, 
we are we're out of time so thanks for listening we'll be back next week enjoy everybody bye